If you're newer to City Church, we are a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church. And in that, we have a very simple mission statement, which is this, calling people to follow Jesus and to serve others. Calling people to follow Jesus and serve others. This morning's teaching that I'm going to bring is entitled, Follow Jesus, Why So Downcast My Soul? Follow Jesus, Why So Downcast My Soul? The first point that I want to bring this morning, I'm going to have someone come out and help me do that. Please listen carefully as she comes out. This is my Father's world, and to my listening ears, all nature sings and around me rings the music of the spheres. This is my Father's world, I rest me. skies and seas, his hand the wonders wrought. This is my father's world, the birds their carols raise, the morning light, the lily white, declare their maker's praise. This is my Father's world. He shines in all that's fair. In the rustling grass, I hear him pass. He speaks to me everywhere. This is my Father's world. Oh, let me Why so downcast, O my soul? Follow Jesus, serve others. One of the things that a pastoral calling involves is that you meet with people and you listen. Then you spend time alone with God and you pray. You listen to God. 
The other thing that you do is you serve as a lead pastor or a teaching pastor is you study the scriptures. That's the calling of anyone who teaches in a church. You listen to people, listen to God, and you search the scriptures. If you are not a follower of Jesus this morning, my prayer for you is, is that this space would become a sacred space. And I encourage you to listen. If you are a follower of Jesus, I'm expecting you to listen. I'm asking that your heart would be open and that you would allow Scripture and the power of the Holy Spirit to speak to your soul. Here's why. Over the past few months, I've spent a lot of time listening to people. Again, that's part of what you do. You meet with people and you listen to them. You listen to what they say, but you also listen to the condition of their soul. Not only do I do that, but I'm also involved with two small groups. Two small groups at City Church, we call them life groups. One of them is the pastoral team that I work with. We gather together and we talk about life. We talk about where we're at spiritual, spiritually. We pray for each other where we hear each other's hearts and concerns. I'm also involved with another group of individuals. This is a men's group that I'm a part of where we get together and we do the same thing. We share our hearts. We share our stories. We commit to praying for each other. What I have found in recent months is I have listened to people in and from City Church and also outside of City Church and those two smaller groups that I'm involved with where I'm doing life with these people is that at times the mood of people's hearts would be clearly defined as angst. Angst. Let me define angst for you. Angst is such a cool word. It sounds like what it means. Angst. Angst is a noun. Here's the definition. A feeling of deep anxiety or dread. Typically an unfocused one about the human condition or the state of the world in general. When I was meeting with one of those teams, we were in the midst of a conversation. The conversation was going on, and as we were talking with each other, we went in that conversation from a sense of really focus and productivity to where we had drifted, and one of the people on the lead team of City Church said this, I feel like we have shifted. We went from here to where we had shifted. And we had shifted into what I would term as angst. I know after pastoring for almost three decades that election years are brutal. During election years 
and the events that are happening in our world, I would say that oftentimes people get stuck, if not begin to spiral in their souls. They begin to spiral down. And and many times as I've met with people, it feels like the wheels are coming off. If that is you, I want you to listen as we look at Scripture together. Because hear what I believe Callie's saying, point number one, this is my Father's world. The battle is not done. But listen, God is still God, and He is on the throne. He is. And so as we're moving into, if you haven't already noticed, an election year, what I've noticed is, is that there's been a sense of breaking a part of our culture, there's been disunity, there's been all types of stuff that has entered in, and it has also entered in to the church. And so what I want to do this morning is very methodically bring us towards communion where all of us would sit here under the presence of the Holy Spirit and say, Spirit of God, how am I doing? As I was praying about this morning, and I've been listening to people, I've been drawn to the Psalms. That as people who follow Jesus and serve others, we don't ignore the Older Testament. And I would encourage you, if you are struggling and there is angst in your soul, be a person who reads the Psalms. They are raw, they are honest, and they are real. The Psalm that I felt drawn to is Psalm chapter 42, verse 5. Psalm 42, 5 will be up on the screen. And I'd like us to read it out loud and together. This is the psalmist. Let's read it out loud. Can we do that? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. Can we read it again? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. If you were to look at this psalm, Psalm number number 42, it's an interesting psalm. It's the beginning of the second book of Psalms in that long book that we call the Psalms. It's book number two. It's a psalm that was written by the sons of Korah. We don't know a lot about them, although they're mentioned in Scripture. One of the things that we know about the sons of Korah is that they baked bread. They baked bread. It was part of the worship to God that happened in the temple, but they baked bread. How many of you love bread? Amen to that. If I would ever become gluten intolerant, dear God, just take me home. (laughs) You ever felt like that? I know some of you are. That's no slam. A friend of mine who's a very close friend, we meet at Zinberger together. I believe Jesus would eat at Zinberger because there's cheeseburgers there. 
And as we met to eat, he said, I can't eat a cheeseburger. And I said, why not? He said, I was bit by a tick, and I'm now allergic to beef. And I said to him, I would say, God, just take me home. If I couldn't eat beef or bread, life as we know it would be over for me. But the sons of Korah baked bread. Here's something else. They were also warriors. They were, note, they were notably mentioned as Scripture as the sons of Korah were mighty in battle. So if because they baked bread, you think they're just suited for the kitchen, you're wrong. These are mighty men of valor. They were warriors for the Israelite army. And they wrote this psalm. And in this psalm, three times they mention this. Verse 5, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. Verse 6, my soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you. Verse 11, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. All I know is this is that when you're downcast, you're hunched over. Have you ever had someone walk into the room and you can look at how they're moving their body language and you know that they're downcast? Downcast meaning there's a burden on them. Their shoulders are hunched. They're looking down. They're looking at the ground and you can see it in their spirit, in their soul, in the affect that they emit when they walk into the room. Their soul is downcast. Now, I have a question. How many of us sitting here, when we read a psalm that's 3,000 years old, you would look at this psalm and you need to ask yourself this question, why is my soul downcast? Why? It becomes obvious when you read this psalm. It's because of where you've put your hope. You've placed your hope in something that cannot deliver you. It cannot set you free. You've placed your hope in something that you feel is moving or it's not going the way that you wanted it to go. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Put your hope in God. Three times the psalmist repeats that. These are the sons of Korah. They bake awesome bread for God, and they're mighty in battle. And yet they pose this question as the second book of Psalm begins. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? And then the psalmist writes, put your hope in God. If your soul is downcast this morning, what I would say, what God would say, what the Spirit of Christ would say, what the Holy Spirit would say is this, put your hope in God. Because if you don't, you are going to be downcast a lot, a whole lot. If you were to read on in the Psalms, you would discover in Psalm 73 
The psalmist writes this incredibly honest psalm, and it's the beginning of book three in the psalms. And in book three in the psalms, Psalm chapter 73, verse 13, we're going to put it up on the screen. Here's what the psalmist says to us. Do we have Psalm 73? Oh, shaking their head, no, my bad, not theirs. Psalm 73 says this. If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. The psalmist goes on to say in verse 16, when I tried to understand all of this, it troubled me deeply till I entered the sanctuary of God. What is Psalm 73 all about? It's an honest psalm of Asaph. Asaph writes this psalm about how he looks out in culture, and culture is broken, it's dysfunctional, it's falling apart. And as he studies it, and as he looks at it, he begins to discover that he gets troubled in his spirit. And in being troubled in his spirit, here's how he described himself. As what was happening around him got the better of him, in Psalm 73, 21, he says this, When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you, speaking to God. Then in verse 13, here's what the psalmist writes. Picture the psalmist saying this. He writes, listen carefully. He looks at what's going on in culture. What he says about culture is that evil people and evil seems to prosper everywhere. And in verse 13, here's what the psalmist says. Surely in vain have I kept my heart pure and have I washed my hands in innocence. All day long I've been afflicted and every morning brings new punishments. Here's verse verse 15. Here's what the psalmist says, if I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. In other words, the psalmist said, if I would have posted on Facebook what I was feeling, I would have betrayed Christ. That's what he says. If I would have put that out there, that it's unworthy and it's not worth it to be innocent, that it's not worth it to be righteous. He says, I would have betrayed your children. It would have been wrong. And so what I want to say to all of us, I want to say this. What are we emitting from our souls? What is our affect when we walk into the room? What am I posting on Facebook? What am I tweeting? What am I putting out on Snapchat? What's going on? What am I emitting from me? Is it defying the fact that I'm a child of God? Is it? This is a 3,000-year-old battle. I don't want to confuse you, though, if you're younger. They did not have Facebook during David's time. But here you can see the psalmist wrestling. And he's saying to himself, is righteousness worth it? Is being righteous worth it? Because it looks like everyone who is evil has an easy life and they are prospering unbelievably. 
And so what the psalmist writes in verse 15, if I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. God, I would have done harm to your family. And he said, when I tried to understand all of what was going on in culture, it was deeply troubling me. And in verse 17, he says this, till I entered the sanctuary of God. And when I entered into God's presence, then suddenly it all began to make sense. And if you wanted to read Psalm 73, it is a powerful, powerful demonstration of how you're called to live and I'm called to live. And that God calls us to be in his presence because if we live our lives outside of God's presence, it won't be long that the Christian life is not worth living. But the, the, the psalmist said this, till I entered the sanctuary of God, he physically moved himself. He moved himself into an, an environment. And here's the environment that I would like to pitch to you and me, that he looked up. Look up. The Bible is replete from the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation that God is elevated. He is high and he's lifted up. He sits on his throne. The scriptures tell us how Christ was elevated to the right hand of the Father. That God is seated on his throne in heavenly realms. The the scriptures are full of a picture that's painted that God is elevated, he's lifted up. Now listen, that does not mean that he's not involved in the affairs of men. It does not mean that he cannot touch you and you can't touch him. That's not what this means. What this means, though, is that God is elevated. He is high and lifted up. And if I, lift in, if I live in this world and, oh, my soul is downcast and I'm always looking down and all I'm doing is looking at culture and that's where all my data flow comes from, I can promise you it won't be long before you're sidelined and your soul is crushed. So the question is, are we a people that look up? Or am I going to live downcast and crushed? What's it going to be? And as I was praying over these psalms and looking at these psalms, Isaiah 26.3 struck my soul. Isaiah 26.3 says this, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. That is actually a worship song found in the book of Isaiah. It's a song of praise. Let me read it in several other versions. Speaking to God in this song of praise, here's what Isaiah the prophet writes. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. The New Living Translation says this. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. The Living Bible says this, Isaiah 26.3. He will keep in perfect peace all those who trust in him, whose thoughts turn often to the Lord. And the message, which is a modern version, says this. 
people with their minds set on you, you keep completely whole, steady on their feet, because they keep at it and don't quit. My question is, where are we looking? Are we looking up? Are we looking up to God or where are we being torpedoed in our culture to where we're going around and we're downcast as though we don't know that God's on the throne and that we don't believe that this is our Father's world and we really don't believe that God loves us and He is reaching out to us and He has sent His Holy Spirit to be with us through this thing that we call life. So the question has to be, why so downcast? Oh, my soul. I'd like to give the following illustration of what I think some of the issues might be. I have a smartphone. Therefore, I have to buy 10 Bibles for Bibles for Disciples. But on my smartphone, when I first got it, I realized how dumb I was. You get a smartphone, you can't use it, you don't know how to use it, and that's why God gave me three teenagers. So I get this smartphone, and the phone is new, and the battery is constantly draining. So one of my kids says, Dad, give me your phone. They did something to it, they double-clicked on the home button, and there were about 85 apps running behind the scenes. Here's what they explained to me, Dad. Don't you shut off your apps. Didn't know you had to do that, quite frankly. I didn't know that's how a smartphone worked. And they said, Dad, here's what you have to do just about once a day. What you want to do is take your smartphone, double-click, unlock it, double-click, and then all of these apps that are running, there's literally 85, and my child just sat there and went like this and shut them all off for like 95 seconds. I mean, there was like 85 to 100 apps running. They're all running behind the scenes, and they're sucking the life out of the battery. And I didn't even know they were doing that. I wonder if spiritually that's true for us. That we have all of these narratives running subconsciously in our hearts and minds. We've got apps spiritually that we're not closing down. And they're running in our spirits and in our souls. And they're unhealthy for us. They're not good for us. They leave our soul drained and exhausted, and dissipated, instead of strengthened and built up for this thing that we call life. I shared this illustration with the pastoral team, and one of them said, but you know what, Pete? What you don't want to do is turn off the primary apps that you use every day. Because it actually uses more energy if you turn them off. So what you want to do is always leave those primary apps running that you use all the time. Boy, isn't that a great illustration? What are the things that feed me spiritually? I need to leave those running. But if you have found 
that being involved with something or you've been gathering data and when you're done, you feel like a brute beast before God. You feel emotions. You feel like your soul is in a position that's outside of the love of Christ and it makes you want to tweet things or post things on Facebook that is filled with angst. I think we need to look up. We need to begin to run those apps that charge us spiritually instead of depleting us. And again, I would highly recommend the Psalms. Here's what the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4 when he talks about Christian living. He writes, Ephesians 4, 17, So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as Gentiles do or unbelievers, in the futility of their thinking. Here's what he writes. Get rid of bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to people, forgiving them just as Christ in God forgave you. And then Galatians 5.22, he writes to the church of Galatia, and he says this, here are the fruits of the Spirit. This is what it looks like when people have the app of the Holy Spirit running constantly in their hearts. Here's what it says. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, no one has ever made a law. Against those things, there is no law. Those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh in its passions and desires, and since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So my question is for us, as we move into an election year, what does it look like in our souls and in our spirits? Does it look like we've been looking up? So the title of this message is, Follow Jesus. Why so downcast, O my soul? And the question is, maybe you're the type of Christ follower who when things go your way, when the election goes your way, when you get what you want, do you respond the same then as when God says no to what you want? Do you worship Him the same when it's yes and it's no? Because if we honestly believe that this is my Father's world and God truly loves me and that He's guiding my, and directing my life as I'm moving towards Him and I'm looking up, then when God says no and things don't turn out the way I had planned on, then I worship Him the same as though what I had planned on has happened. Listen, do I follow Jesus differently when there's disappointment instead of achievement? Do I follow him differently when there's victory or defeat? Do I follow him differently when I'm misunderstood than when I do when I'm applauded? Do I follow him differently? Because here's what I know. The Bible warns us that in this life there will be many trials. 
How am I going to respond when they come? The question is, why so downcast, O my soul? Why am I so troubled in my spirit? So the question must be asked, how have I been doing? How have I been doing? There's an incredible story that moved me deeply the first time I heard it. It's the story of a hymn writer. This is one of my top five most favorite hymns. This hymn writer was a Presbyterian layman in Chicago. He had established a successful legal practice as a young businessman, was also a devout Christian. He was close friends with a famous evangelist by the name of Dwight L. Moody, who was also from Chicago. Many of you have heard of Dwight L. Moody. Powerful, powerful preacher. These guys were friends. What happened, though, with this young man, this, this businessman, was that all of a sudden, most of his fortune evaporated in the Chicago fire. He had invested heavily in housing and in industrial complexes, and they were burned to the ground. But if that wasn't all, the worst was yet to come. After the devastation of the fire, he decided that his wife and he and his girls, for he had four daughters, needed a break. Their friend D.L. Moody was preaching in London, England, and they decided to take a trip to Great Britain to assist him or to meet him there and to help him in his crusades. But at the very last minute, there were some legal complications with some of what he had lost, and he had to stay behind, so he put his wife and his four daughters on board a ship. Unfortunately, the ship never arrived in Great Britain. What ended up happening was on November 22nd of 1873, the ship was struck by the Loch Erne, another ship, and the vessel went down in 12 minutes. Several days later, the survivors landed at Cardiff, Wales, and his wife cabled him and said this, saved but alone. Here's the hymn that he wrote when his ship went over the area that had entombed his four daughters. Listen carefully. like a river attendeth my way when sorrows like sea billows roll whatever my lot thou hast taught me to It is well, 
imagine penning that hymn in that context why so downcast O my soul put your hope in God amen if you would grab your communion and you would stand with me The scripture I would like us to ponder as we conclude our service is John chapter 16, verse 33. John 16, 33 says the following. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. What a great verse. Jesus says, John 16, 33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. 
In this world, you will have troubles. But take heart. Look up. I have overcome the world. Let's hold the emblems of communion before the Lord. If you feel as though your soul has been downcast, I want you to consider which apps you have running behind the scenes in your soul that you know you need to shut off. Also, if you would say, my soul is downcast, we have this opportunity this morning to refocus our attention on Jesus. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. In him there is light and life for all mankind. The Bible tells us this morning that as we take communion, he is seated at the right hand of the Father, in the literal throne room of God, high and lifted up. Could we, would we look up this morning as we take communion together? Scripture tells us, Paul writes, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's thank God for the bread together. Jesus, thank you for this symbol that we hold in our hands that is the symbol of your broken body. Jesus, thank you what you went through for us so that our bodies could be healed. Let's partake together. Scripture says in the same way after supper, he took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink or eat this bread. Whenever you drink it, you do so in remembrance of me. The Apostle Paul goes on to write the following. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus is alive. He is resurrected. And this book ends with a promise. And the promise is this, is that Jesus Christ is on the throne. And there will come a day when heaven and earth will be merged together. There will be no more need for a sun, for the light of Christ will shine. Every tear will be wiped away. Every broken heart will be mended. And we will dwell with him forever. This is my Father's world. And until the full redemption of it, we hold this cup. And as we hold this cup together, in it is the promise of God that what has separated us from him is eternally removed through the blood of Jesus when I put my faith, hope, and trust in him. Jesus, thank you for this cup. Thank you that it's the symbol of your shed blood that we can be in right relationship with you. Jesus, thank you for what you have done for us and the eternal, immovable hope that it brings to each and every one. 
Jesus, thank you. Let's partake together. As we conclude our time, we always conclude our time at City Church with a time of prayer up front for those of you who feel like you need it. If you would say that your soul has been downcast, that you would echo what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 73, that what has come out of my mouth, what I've said, maybe what you've done, has created in you to where you know that you're outside of God's best. I want to encourage you as we conclude this service that you would come forward and spend time in prayer. No matter what your need is, we encourage you to do that. But if you know you need to refocus and begin to look up and your soul's been downcast, I encourage you to come forward as the prayer team now moves forward as well. We're going to conclude our time with a brief moment of worship and I'll return with the blessing. But if you would like prayer and you know you need it, please step out and make a move towards God. Let's worship together.
we conclude our time together, let's close our eyes in God's presence. And now may the Lord bless us. May the Lord keep us. May he cause his face to shine upon us as we look up to him. And may he grant us peace. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. In Christ's name we ask. Amen. Before you move, there's two quick things. I received a communique. We could use a little bit of help with teardown. A lot of people are away on vacation. So if you'd be able to help, you can move out through the auditorium to the right. And there's a team that will be there to guide you in order to help us. God bless you. Stay in worship if you'd like. Come forward for prayer if you'd like. Or you could exit quietly, but make sure you hug a couple necks before you leave City Church this morning.
the king of
is bound. 